Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Welcome back to Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. It's Kev Rogers here with my partner, John Carlton. What's up, John? Hey, Kev. What's up? (laughs) How's it going today, man? You're there in Reno? Yeah, just got up. I'm half naked. Dog sleeping at my feet. We have a show today? Uh, Yeah, we're going to start that in a few minutes. Oh, okay. I'll get prepped. In reality, we're here at at Copy Chief Live with some of our best friends. They're here, yeah? And this this is going to be a special episode because we have some really special guests, some great friends of ours. Our friend David Deutsch is here with us. What's up, David? Great to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Marcella Allison is here. I love it. This is fabulous. Newly crowned the queen of the Titanides and the uh, newly crowned copywriter of the year at AWAI. Congratulations. And our great friend Paris Lampropoulos is also in the house. Hey. (laughs) Looking like his best Richard Gere. So thank you guys for being here. We've had an amazing two days and there's so much wisdom to be shared here. I wanted to think of just one question and then give the audience a chance for a follow-up question about the writing process. You guys all gave great talks last year about how you do it, how you get into the minds of your customers, how you sit and write the letters. John, you talked about rhythm and, and how it needs to be lyrical. But I want to talk about motivation and how do we get motivated and stay inspired when we're writing copy. Yeah, I had, a, I had a thing that I kind of developed when I got started. I call it stocking the desk. Yeah. I, I think a number of other writers have picked that up too. And, and for me, it was an attitude thing. And there was, a, there was something I would chant to myself. I would say, there are people walking the streets right now out there with money in their pocket. That belongs to me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and the universe will be out of skew until I can reverse that situation and get that money out of their pocket and into my pocket. And by stocking the desk, I meant I would get into the room and actually look at the workplace I had because I've worked at multiple desks over the years. And uh, I would get into this attitude of, I am entering the lion's den. I am, this is my console. This is my starship enterprise that I'm going off. I'm, and I would, I would gear up. I would physically gear up to do that and just kind of stomp around the desk and wait until I was in a frothing sense of, this has to be done. It has to be done right now. And then I would sit down. Wow. And, and of course, I would do a lot of research before that point. If I got into the room and I wasn't ready to sit down and start blasting away, then I hadn't done my research research. So, right. so I might not even uh, go to the desk. I might uh, go to another part of the house or something and start reading or, or, or do something. But that desk was a sacred place for writing. Mm. So I want to ask, um, David, when we're starting out as copywriters and we want to freelance, one thing I notice happening a lot is we just don't have a reason to write yet. So if we don't have clients yet, it's sort of like, what should I be writing so that I can get good? 
What should we be writing before we have a, a reason to write? You know, I, I think the best thing that you can do is to sell something. And it's so easy to sell something online. You know, create a report for some little niche, how to take care of your gerbil, or, you know, you know something about some... Speaking of Richard Gere. You know, as, I, as that came to mind, I went, oh no, I'm sitting up here with, you know, yeah. two comedians or five comedians or whatever. Um, you know, some health report, you know, why you should drink eight glasses of water. What, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you don't make any money on it. But to get that response, to actually send things out and say, oh, when I do this, this happens. Mm. To actually, because that's motivation, right? Now you're really talking about being motivated because now money is on the line. Yeah. And you write with a different intent and you look at the results in a different way. And you right. look like the best writers that come to me yeah. are the ones that like, yeah, I ran a little supplement business, or I, I sold right. like Paris, sold yeah. a little uh, like real estate, real estate thing. You know, and I right. bet he learned right. as much from that as he did from, you know. Paris is Yeah, the, the way I learned how to write copy was by maxing out all my credit cards. <laughs> I had, Kids do not I had a know. product that I was trying to sell and I kept, you know, writing copy. And I got what was a great response, but I didn't know it was a great response because I was losing money because all my economics were off. So I thought, oh, it's got the copy. So I kept trying new approaches and getting deeper and deeper into debt. And that's basically how I learned how to write copy. So you had something to write early on, Paris, obviously. And uh, yeah, I was a, a real estate broker at the time, and the market had just tanked. And um, I wrote a, a book on how to sell your home in a declining market. And I wrote the sales letter first, and then I wrote the book to, uh, you know, to fulfill the promises in the sales wow. letter. Fascinating. And now we know a book can be written in a couple of days. So <laughs> That's right. You know, do it and sell it. Exactly. Marcella, you work a lot with freelance copywriters. When someone's new, you know how it is, right? It shouldn't be this way. I would love to just say, well, write anything because writers write and that's what we do. But I do understand having the urgency of a client waiting for it on the other side, right? But until that moment happens, what would be, you know, beyond hand copying and those things, what can we write to get good? Well, a couple of things. I was thinking just in general that there's this great line like, if writing is your practice, the only way to fail is not to write. Mm. So this idea that just writing every day, and Carlene Cole talks about this a lot. So for me in the beginning, my practice was my journal. And I journal mm. every single day. And to me, that act of just, even if you're not selling something, and I agree with everything here, don't get me wrong, I think you really have to practice your sales skills. But for me, just writing every day is so important. And the longer you get away from the page, the more your anxiety builds, right? Yeah. So I think writing something every day. I loved what David said about sell anything to anybody just to practice. So I loved your spec for this, which was sell me on reading your favorite book. It's something you already love, right? Right. You used to say anytime we sent you an email, like anytime you're trying to get someone to do something in an email, even if it's just to get your entire family to agree on the plan for Christmas dinner. Right. Like whose house at what you are persuading them. Right. And if it's as dysfunctional as my family, it takes a lot of persuading to agree to the plan you want them to follow. So Paris was like, those every single one mm. of those is an opportunity to practice your wow. persuasion skills and never let it go past. That's, Do the best yeah, job you can. That's really great. And you know, it reminds me, I, I mentioned the other day about uh, Ben Savenga and that, that ham, right? right? 
And, and so I buy this ham and I write Gary a letter and I say, you just, the subject line was, you just sold me a ham. And I say, I, I think you just sold me a ham. And, and I asked him to confirm if, if it was his copy. He said, indeed it was. I remember saying to him, and no offense to you because I don't think I discovered you yet. I said, but I've been studying copy so much only you and John Carlton have had this effect where I read your copy and I have a physical reaction to it. Literally my skin kind of tingles and my spine stiffens and I just feel transformed. I said, what is that? Is that NLP? Is, is, you know, is, there, is there a formula? How's that happening? And that's when he told me, you'll get there yourself someday if you stay dedicated and you, and you think about how would I sell this. Uh, but the thing you said, Marcella, uh, I, after buying that ham, went to announcing it to the family. I had them so excited about this ham. If Michelle's here, she'll tell you. We were so, right? We all couldn't wait for that ham. It was the talk of the family. It was the talk of the dinner. And we were slicing it. We're all like standing around. Is it, is it going to look like they described it? We had all read the letter, you know? And it was, an, but that's what it was. That was, you know, I was getting to sell. He taught me how to pitch it beyond me because the promise was it's, you'll be the star of the holiday. And he was 100% right. So there's really something in that to practice selling what you're passionate about to other people, even if just verbally, because at its best, selling is a transfer of enthusiasm. That's why I like your book idea because your book idea, they already love that book practice selling, and you can combine it with David's idea. I used to say, if you don't have a client and you don't have a real sales letter, pick a product that you love and write a killer testimonial for it mm. as a copywriter mm. using everything you know oh, and good. post it on their website. Oh, wow. I got a personal reply from the woman who's in charge of, uh, who's the CEO of Title IX because I loved what she was doing for women. I didn't even wear their clothing. I had bought one piece, but I wrote this passionate letter about what she was doing for women. I got a personal email back from the CEO of Title IX. Wow. You, everyone here can do a testimonial for a product that you love. You can practice right here with Copy Chief, and you can practice with everything else that you use in your life. Did you get free swag from, uh, from the joint? I just got a beautiful personal letter and um, support for the Titanites, which to me was really, uh -huh. that was huge, right? oh, okay. to say, go forth and do this. And yeah, it was really wonderful. I want to tell you a story about this very thing. You know, I have a Google alert set for my name, like most, most of us do, right? So one day, um, <laughs> you know, you gotta find out what people are saying about you. Everybody else have a Google alert set for their name. Who spells your name right? How would you even know? Why am I not surprised? Henry. Well, so anyway, so I click on this link, and it's a guy who wrote a sales letter for some interview I had done. It wasn't yours, it was some AWAI, I think. And it was, you had to pay to get this interview. And this young copywriter, he just took upon it and took it upon himself to write a sales letter selling that interview recording. And he said to AWAI, hey, I'm just putting this up. I don't want you to pay me. I don't want an affiliate commission. I'm just going to write this and link to your, to your sales page. I mean, to your order form. 
And, you know, they got a lot of sales, and the guy's doing great now. I mean, he's really rising up the ranks. That's awesome. Awesome. I love the testimonial idea, Marcel. Also, I, I, I want to give writers, back to the original subject, mm -hmm. I want to give writers an out. Uh, there's an old-school tactic that uh, David and I have known for a long time. I'm sure uh, Paris knows about it. And it's um, when we would write copy and we'd write the first draft out, we often threw up to the first two pages away. And we called it clearing our throat. <clears throat> and that's a very old tactic. And you will find more often than not that you're winding up as you're, as you're, as you're beginning. And one of the reasons you have so much trouble editing your pieces is because you're not editing viciously enough. And guys like Jim Rutz and Gary Benzavinga and Gary Halbert, we routinely just toss the first page and a half or so. Wow. And we'd kind of go down. We knew we were looking for. We're looking for that spot. We go, bang, that's where the letter starts. Mm. It's almost always on right down on the second page. I wanted to follow up on something you said about how you were able to sell the ham to your um, relatives. One test of a really good sales letter is that someone can read it and then they could go and yes, sell it. Yes, oh, right. And so if you give your copy to someone and they read it and you say, okay, what's great about right, this product? Right. And they go, I don't know, it was something about the ham, it tastes good or it's from somewhere, I don't know. Or, or this stock, it's gonna go up because there's something that's gonna go up, this market thing is gonna change, then no. But if they're like, oh, this stock is so cool because it's gonna do this, then right. you know you wrote something really good. That's great. And you know, think about that. How often is the person reading your copy not the final decision in whether they buy or not, right? You have to write it so abundantly clear. You use unique mechanisms and, and all those things to help them pitch it for you. And it's very empowering. And by the way, we know from social studies that they will be so dug in for your cause of buying your product once they start selling it to other people and even maybe rebutting the rebuttals on your behalf that, man, you, you, by the time you get the purchase, you have a customer for life. Not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but it's interesting. If someone can't sell your product to someone else, even if they never do, then they're not going to feel comfortable buying it mm. because they're going to feel like, I can't justify it. I may mm. be making a mistake. Wow. Awesome. Okay. I'd like to uh, open it up for at least one question from the audience. Um, okay. Uh, Marcello. Yeah, perfect. Come on up to the microphone. By the way, this is Marcello. He came all the way from Italy to be here with us. Actually, he lives in Prague now, but we, we met in Italy when I was there speaking, and it was great yeah. to meet you. He is a full-time copywriter in Italy in the Italian language, so awesome. Yeah, so first of all, I want to thank you for inviting me here. It's amazing to be in the States. Uh, my question is, so once you're actually writing, you know how to write, you have customers, what routines can you create to keep you motivated and productive? What routines? Yeah. Yeah, how do you stay motivated? Thank you, Marcello. So now, okay, this is almost like the other spectrum, right? Now that we're in the groove, the next problem we get, the good problem is, wow, I've got all the work I can handle. I've got to get up and do this every day and be productive and inspired. How do we do that? So, well, I know what John's going to say. <laughs> it's one of those things, like, you want to have as little friction as possible in the process to stop you and derail you. So they did a study where if people had their gym clothes laid out on their bed, the sweatpants, the t-shirt, the sneakers, the socks, they were more likely to exercise than people who had to get up and go dig into the drawer and, and get the clothes out and put them on. So I do the same thing with my writing environment. So I'll have a document open and I'll have the research 
materials open and I'll have the recording queued up to be played because I play music in the background and I, I like it cool in the room, I like it bright in the room and you know, that's, that's my ritual. And if you don't do that, now there's all these steps between that could screw you up. It's like when Steve Jobs wore the same clothes every day, it was one less decision he had to make. Another thing I find with my ADD brain is when I'm doing a to-do list, I can't write on my list, you know, write the copy for X, because I'll never get to it. What I have to do, I have to write on my to-do list is take out the folder marked this, <laughs> open it up, take out the other thing. I, I really have wow. to get granular with the thing. So these are all things that can kind of keep you greased so you can get stuff done. Do you ever use the... Uh five or 10 minute rule, just tell yourself I'm gonna write for 10 right, minutes. yeah, yeah. Also, at, at the end of the day, at the end of the session, before the next session, leave an unfinished sentence. That's right. That oh, you wow. know, you can come in and you finish that sentence. And, I, and sometimes I'll come in and just do a light edit. I'll trick myself, I'll do a light edit. And I go in and I wind up, you know, that's, that's a two hour session. I always start by working on what was the right. day before it. Like Hemingway wrote, said he did the same thing. He never finished a chapter. He always left, ended his day in the middle. And then the next day, you pick up where you left off, and you start going through what you wrote the day before and tweaking it, and that gets your right. brain warmed up. And by the time you're at the end point, which is your new starting point, now your brain's all warmed up and you're good to go. I'm, I'm going to add that there's a personality type among the writers. How many people uh, are aggressive writers? You sit down and you aggressively go after the copy and the sale out there. So a few, mo mostly the men. I think the women can pick up from this. It's almost a hostile act. I, I wasn't joking about saying there are people out there that have money that belongs to you, damn it, and, and you're going to correct the situation. That, that, <laughs> you, you are in the capper's seat. It is your responsibility. If you know stuff, if you have something to sell, it's going to make their life better, and you botch that, then shame on you. That's, you you've hurt yourself. You've hurt the prospect that, that should have been a customer. You've hurt the client. You've hurt everybody involved. And you shouldn't take that as a sniveling coward. You should take that as a warrior. And you, you go out there and you, this is a hostile act of getting someone's attention, being the best thing they read today that gets their blood moving and move them towards the better life that is right around the corner. Humans are bizarrely reluctant to make their own lives better. They, they're stubborn about it. And you have to overcome that stubbornness. You can't do it meekly. You cannot be a meek copywriter. You just won't get anything done. So you can be a meek person, but when you sit down and you stock the desk and you sit down, you become whatever kind of beast you need to become. I, I call it the beast, and you guys can use that too. It's a different part of your brain that you're gonna kick into gear, and you're going after this. this. This is serious stuff. And again, there are people that relying, that are relying on you to help them get over their own internal stubbornness and nonsense, which dominates their lives. Most of the civilians out there, and a civilian is anyone who doesn't understand uh, direct response, they don't know how close they are to a better life. And, and it would, no matter what you're selling, if it helps them, it makes their life a little bit better. And if you can bring somebody into the direct response fold where they've never actually bought from TV, they haven't bought from, from online, they haven't bought from a magazine before, and you can bring them into that, it makes their lives better. How many, how many people, your life is better because you learned how to respond to a freaking uh, direct response ad? I started out with uh, Joe Carbo's um, book, The Lazy Man's Way to Riches. And it was the first thing I bought, and I, I still have the ad with the uh, coupon cutout uh, from the LA Times back in 1982 or, 80, or 83, whenever wow. it was, so, yeah. 
I could give a kinder, gentler idea here to <laughs> <I'll> screw that. <laughs> I knew that was coming. So I agree with everything that John said. I have a little bit of a different quirky process. Surprise, surprise. So um, this idea of how do you get to the page and how do you get going, I love John's description of sort of like taking the desk like he's taking Bunker Hill or something, right, marching around. For me, that brings up resistance and panic, right? I'm, I'm higher on the neuroticism scale. So what works for me is I have rituals, similar to what Paris said. Mine are the, I have a writing altar. And I have a series that I go through. I have a series that I go through when I enter my office. On my altar, there's a candle, there's a chime. I pull a tarot card every morning, kind of just like to get my creative juices going. So I literally come in my office, I'll pull this tarot card out of the deck, I light my candle, and as soon as I light the candle and I hit the chime, that's my Pavlovian signal that it's time to sit down and write. So for me, having a candle, and then I do a thing, this, I'm going way woo-woo on you guys, so you can see the balance here. I actually dedicate whatever I'm writing to making those people, oh no you don't, oh no you don't, oh no, oh, where's my rock? Who's in charge of my rock? So, so for me, what worked in the beginning with Paris, he did the similar talk with me that, that John just did. He said, but I feel like I'm tricking them with this headline. I can't even remember what my angst was. And he was like, do you believe this book is helpful to people with cancer? And I was like, absolutely. He's like, do you believe that they need to read it to get this advice to shift, right, and possibly save their own lives? I'm like, yes. He's like, do you think they're gonna do that if they read that boring ass copy? Uh, no. He's like, okay, so your entertaining them can possibly quite literally save their lives. So you need to do everything you can do to get them to read it. Mm. So what helped me is, so I do this little ritual of starting my day, and I dedicate the copy that I'm going to write. I sort of say to the universe, look, whatever you need to happen in these people's lives to make it better, the sort of woo-woo version of what John said, Help me to get those words so that they can get what they need from me, right? Help me to be that instrument for the world. And that allows me to go into it wholeheartedly, which is important for me. And I was gonna say the other thing that helps me energy-wise, just two quick things. One is morning pages. I love the artist's way. The idea of clearing your brain every morning, you know, oh my God, I gotta take the dog to the vet. I'm really worried about my kid. What if he does this at the party? I'm really, like, that stuff clutters my writing. So. Clearing that with three pages of journal means by the time I get to the page for the product, that chatter is gone. And she also has an artist date. Once a week, go do something that inspires you and makes you feel creative. Go to a music, movie, go to a concert. Museum. That fills me back up. And the final thing is do what Laura Belgray did, which is if you're always writing for your clients in their voice, you can begin to lose the love you had for your for words, for writing in the beginning. So do a blog. I mean, I love to read your blogs, right? And I'm guessing you get tons of energy from that. That's a different energy than I'm writing client copy. And it reminds you that you love to write. But then to me, that energy will spill over into the client thing. So those are my- Awesome. Kinder, gentler. Well, yeah, I, I, I no longer sacrifice small animals before <laughs> a, a writing session. But, I, so I you've mellowed, you've mellowed over the years. Over yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I've got one in between to give us complete balance. When, All right. When I'm stuck or need to get started or not feeling it, I write the onion version of the sales letter. <laughs> so I write the satirical version that I pray will never be seen 
because I'd not only be thrown in jail, I'd be fired from the project. It'll literally say like, dear dipshit. <laughs> you and I both know you're not gonna do anything with the important information I'm about to give you. But fuck it, I'm getting paid, so I have to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just la making yourself laugh and suddenly all the tension, like you said, and the fear of oh, this has to be good and I have to kill, uh, just goes away and you're laughing. And next thing you know, you're actually writing copy. It's not that different. And you, you definitely want to get your throat clearing out of there. And then you're, you're, you're off to the races. And that, that ties into the tactic that Gary and Hubbard and I used to do, which was we would write copy that no way in hell could it ever really be published. We yeah. would go too far. Yeah. And then when we were editing, we'd dial it back. That was not just easier than taking weak-ass copy and trying to pump it up, but right. the, taking weak copy and trying to pump it up is impossible. So right. taking over-the-top copy and dialing it back is amazing. I mean, if the clients had seen the first drafts that we did, they would have fired us on the spot. Right. It was, you know, we're, we're, we're doing, I, I never thought of the, uh, as the onion version, but that, that's a good way to put it. So being funny, if you're not naturally funny, be vicious, be evil, just say illegal things, do anything <laughs> you can. Because, yeah. because what you're doing is like, it's like, what could I say, if, or, or what could I make true you know, in a perfect world where I controlled everything, you know, and that's where stuff like uh, Jim Rutz's uh, read this or die comes from. Right. You know, that was from that kind of a session, but it stuck, you know, and he happened to hit on one that was gonna work. So that's a really good tactic. Learn how to write in private. Have, we're not, when I talk about your writing area being sacred, that means like if you're worried about other things, errands or somebody else in the house, take care of that shit get them walled off, and lock the door if you have to. It's uh, daddy or mommy's private time. Have a red-lit sign uh, or a red-lit uh, lamp out there, you know, the writing lamp, because you're only gonna write for two yeah. hours. Uh, the most, I've never written well for two hours. Anything over two hours starts to become garbage. So you have short bursts, and you can go out back out into the real world and see what the dogs have done to the living room and things like that. <laughs> So. I love that, John, because our slogan is nobody writes alone because the final draft will never be of one person. But this is a beautiful way to end this conference because what I never forget and we can never forget and the thing that bonds us is those drafts start very alone. Us in our keyboard or our notebook or our thoughts or dictating or whatever we have to do, it's on us to produce something that creates a first draft and then we can noodle and get help from there. So with that, I officially end Copy Chief Live 2018. Thank you very much. Bye.